Here's a message from Ken Lavica. Quarterback is the most important position on the field. Quarterback is the most uh, important position in the NFL. And when your quarterbacks are screwing up in the playoffs, what do you do? Stone the Banowitz hit the open. On your mark. Get set. Go! You are listening to Ken Lavica Live. Presented by FAU MBA and Sport Management Program. Turn it up! Turn it up! From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, it's Ken LaVeca Live on ESPN 106.3. The Cowboys. <laughs> oh, man. Not to sound like Stephen A., but only the Dallas Cowboys lose in the way that the Dallas Cowboys did on Sunday. Ken LeVick alive, a Tuesday edition, yet we're starting the week here on ESPN 106.3. Free ESPN app and on your smart speaker because it's Tuesday. Theo Dorsey, WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29, who uh, despite the MLK Day holiday yesterday still had to work on the TV side, but you did good work. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's, and you know what? It's fun because when you love your work, right? What do they say? Like it's still work, but you enjoy it or something sure, like that? Sure. Yeah. That does not sound like a wise <laughs> saying, but yes, I think you're probably on the right track. Uh, Stone the Banowitz Friday Night Lights running things until 2 o'clock in the Anna John Levine Action and Attorney Studios downtown West Palm Beach, Phillips Point Towers, right off of the frigid. I mean, cold. I mean, uncomfortable. Intracoastal. This weekend was highly entertaining. And uh, many times, Theo, for the wrong reasons. There's entertaining in a, wow, that was amazing. Like, it, I, I'm sure that the first time that uh, people walked in and saw what Michelangelo did on the ceiling of the Vatican, they said, wow. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I don't know what that is in Italian, but uh, we can just imagine. And uh, (laughs) it it was, to them, that was entertaining. That was incredible. Then there's, wow, that was entertaining because it was such a train wreck. And that's what we saw several times Mm. over this NFL wildcard weekend. Here's the best thing. I I was very distraught, actually, that we were not going to have a show yesterday. But the best part about this now, kicking this off on a Tuesday, is that We can take all of the last three days and figure out where the biggest gaffe was during wildcard weekend because there were a lot of them. And for me, I don't think that anything tops what happened at Jerry World on Sunday night. You have the Cowboys who, if you look at the reactions of their fans, CBS did an outstanding job of the reactions, <laughs> getting reactions from their fans, including a woman who was bawling uncontrollably, just sobbing, just burying her soul for all to see for like the final, not just 30 seconds of that game, but for like the final six minutes right. of that game. I have to think there was some alcohol involved in that. Alcohol and maybe even money, because who loves their team that much to cry that long? Alcohol and money, yes. That is a bad combination. Uh, But somehow, the 49ers, through sheer incompetence, including a false start on a fourth and inches that would have ended the game, give the Cowboys the ball back. With no timeouts, having to go damn near the length of the field to score a touchdown in order to win, and it seemed like... For a moment, the Cowboys were actually destined to do that. And then, with 14 seconds left and no timeouts, after the 49ers 
end up shuffling their defense to both sidelines, leaving the middle of the field open from right around midfield. This is what the Cowboys did. This, Jim Nance and Tony Romo and Dak Prescott with the bonehead decision of all bonehead decisions. The game's over. The game ball bounds. Dak has to get this out of bounds or he's taking a shot to the end zone. This is scary because I would take a shot to the end zone here when they're in the sideline defense because you actually can hold on to the ball. You need someone, San Francisco, to get to the quarterback here. Prescott takes off running the football. Whoa, I don't think this is going to work out. It will. They'll be on the clock as they were playing for it. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. Oh, the official gets in the way. The game's over. Gosh. The game is over. Tony Romo freak out. Oh, they're going to look at this. It's it's going to be over because the umpire has to touch the ball. Of course, that's ridiculous for a game to end like that. True. Jim. Wow, I am living if I'm a Cowboy fan. Yes, if I'm a Niners that's the fan. end of the game. The game is over. <laughs> I love that. And San Francisco oh, man. survives and advances. Oh, man. Every part you of that. It was risky. They had time. Dak's supposed to go, but you're not supposed to go past 10. Yep. 12 yards. Once you get into that 13-14, the clock runs and gets away from you. Not something like this happens. Man, that is why Tony Romo explained it perfectly at the end there. Dak Prescott, in the midst of the Cowboys trying to be super smart and outthink San Francisco, end up with the biggest gaffe of the weekend. Dak Prescott, who, by the way, for the record, tried to blame the officials after the game for the Dallas outcome, for them being bounced from the playoffs in the wild card. No, Dak, bro, that's on you, man. There were 14 seconds left. You decided to take off, and you got greedy. You decided to get five extra yards when if you would have gone down two seconds sooner, you would have had a final play and a shot at the end zone. It's not the official's fault. Oh, he, he ran into Dak. He almost knocked Dak over. That's not the official was trying to save Dak's backside. Yeah. He was trying to save Dak's season. He's saying, bro, get out of the way so I can touch the ball <laughs> through the rule book so you can actually spike the ball. Dak screwed up. That's a veteran quarterback. And a veteran quarterback for that team in that situation with that much on the line. That's just boneheaded nonsense. And the only person that Dak Prescott has to blame is Dak Prescott. That, to me, is the biggest gaffe of the weekend in what was a myriad of stupidity in the final four minutes of that game, including Cedric Wilson, who's who gets let off the hook with what should have been an easy by NFL receiver standards yeah. fourth down conversion. All he had to do was catch the ball like a punt and ended up falling over and face planting on the turf as the ball hit the ground incomplete. Dak Prescott, that decision, him not knowing how long it was going to actually take to get set to spike the football, that's on him. That's the biggest gaffe of the weekend. That was bad. It was very ugly, and also it was almost like it almost was like a movie ending that you knew it was going to end this oh, way. Oh, yeah, like, you knew that was coming. Yeah. All the plot had led up to <laughs> what you knew the eventual end was going to be. The Cowboys, are, I think it's in the rule book. I think back when the NFL was created, the Cowboys, somewhere in the fine print, are only allowed to lose in dramatic, spectacular fashion. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's the only way to do it. Tony Romo knows this firsthand. Uh-huh. I mean, he's had his gaffe or two with the Cowboys in yeah. the playoffs. I Can't remember. get the, the, the ball down. Yeah. The Des Bryant catch that wasn't a catch. Oh, uh, yeah, the Cowboys flame out in the most spectacular fashion. This was far and away 
the dumbest. That was dumb. Tony Romo, it's raining. It's Seattle. He lost control of the ball. It's unfortunate. Des Bryant, that was definitely was a, catch a catch at Lambeau. Uh, they should have won that game against the Packers. This, this was, you're rolled out a red carpet, okay? You're rolled out a red carpet. And you say, hey, here's your ticket to the Oscars. Here you go. You walk down the red carpet, and then your dress shoe gets caught in the carpet, and you break your ankle, and you don't actually go into the Oscars. That's the equivalent of what happened with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. It was there for them. They were going to have like a 35-yard shot at the end zone. That's not even a Hail Mary in that spot. That's like a let's run a real big boy play and try and win this game. And instead, he slides, and then he's going to blame the officials. The official who was trying to run up on him to touch the football it's just bad, bad football all yeah. the way around. And the official who was looking out for him, literally, like the, the official hustle. He mm-hmm. hauled tail to get up there to yeah. try and get. And, and the, the dude's like a senior citizen, and that dude's flying. Yeah, he he's he might have been a Cowboys fan. You know, I like mean, the he way was he was trying to get that booking. ball set. He was trying <laughs> to save Dak. Yeah. The only reason Dak got the ball with zeros on the clock for only like a second and a half is because that official yeah. ran up on him. That, to me, that's the unequivocal, no doubt, biggest gaffe of Wild Card Weekend. What do you got, Theo? Well, mine comes, and and the weird part about Wild Card Weekend now is it just feels so long, like time is Because it is long. It's so, they're calling it Super Wild Card Weekend, and it's because, yeah, six games, three days, like. Because it's super long. Yeah, it's super long. Mine happened in the early slate, so people might have forgot about this moment because it got so overshadowed by the Cowboys. First game of Super Wild Card Weekend. Yeah, like, Bengals Raiders, and. The Raiders, I think Derek Carr crept into this one with um, the benefit of people giving him, you know, the Raiders weren't supposed to be there in they the were first sort of, place. They got into a feel-good story. Yeah, like everybody's giving them all the excuses of why, like it's amazing that they even showed up to the playoffs or mm-hmm. whatever. On that fourth quarter drive, the Raiders are down by seven. They need a score to tie it up. Derek Carr, inexplicably, inexplicably, excuse me, easy for me to say, throws the ball in the triple coverage. Yeah. To Zay Jones up the he's going up the seam where you have Hunter Renfro running in the flat to the left side. I don't know why. That's one of your best targets, right? But you have him running in the flat. Darren Waller's running like an out and go. Who he might have been open because it looked like Zay Jones's route was to free up Darren Waller. Yeah. No pressure in Carr's face. The the pocket was clean. The Bengals only sent four. He hauls it in the triple coverage. Almost as if that was his only he read. He threw it to the decoy. Yeah, like he threw it to the decoy before he even gave Darren Waller one of the best weapons in all of the NFL, a chance to get open. And it looked like he would have been open right along the pylon. He throws it into triple coverage. And it was – I thought the, the the fact that he spiked the ball on first and goal was, was bad. But that throw, that like anticipation throw that he threw to Zay Jones in the triple coverage, I'm not sure what he was thinking there. Let's hear it from Mike Tirico on NBC. Derek Carr, fourth down, final play of the game, throwing to what appeared to be the decoy <laughs> with three defenders on him, and it's questionable if Zay Jones was even in the end zone. The season comes down to this. It is Carr end zone. Intercepted. And I think Mike Tirico is being a little bit generous. Because, yes, the receiver started with both feet on the goal line, but as the ball approached, he was not in the end zone. He was at, like, the half-yard line. That ball never got into the end zone. Even if it was caught, 
That's not a touchdown. It would have been short. He and- threw it short of the end zone in triple coverage, needing a touchdown on the final play of the game. And it wasn't like it was a situation where, like, you know, on a third and goal, you have more time left. You're trying to get a quick throw out. It seemed like that's the mode that Derek Carr was in, where he was yeah. like, I need to hurry up and get this a throw out. This is my one shot. Yeah. And maybe he thought he – I don't – I have no clue, but – the fact that he went to Zay Jones and not a Darren Waller or Hunter Renfro, the fact that he threw the ball before he even – he didn't even give the play time to develop. And I think not enough was made of this because it was Super Wild Card Weekend and so much <laughs> BS happened yeah. after that. Yeah, so much ridiculousness yeah. happened after the fact. What was the biggest gaffe of Super Wild Card Weekend? What was the biggest gaffe? Was it Dak Prescott, quarterback sneak with 14 seconds left? Sliding down with six seconds on the clock, waiting for an old man official (laughs) to run up and touch the football, then getting mad when that official tried to bowl through him to actually get a hand on the football, or is it maybe Derek Carr throwing into triple coverage, not even in the end zone Mm. on the final play of the game when the Raiders needed a touchdown, or was it something else? What was the biggest gaffe? of Super NFL Wild Card Weekend, 888-760-3776, 888-760-3776. You can tweet at us at ESPN West Palm. And again, 888-760-3776. What was the biggest gaffe of NFL Wild Card Weekend? From a, a pure uh, a pantheon perspective of what this meant overall when you when our two gaps when you put them up against one another, it's difficult to fully gauge which one was a bigger gaff. But I think the expectations that the Cowboys had, exactly. and based on the expectations that the Cowboys have, and because it was at home, and you have the sobbing woman in the crowd, and you have someone on Twitter uh, today describe the other shot of the the couple, the the boyfriend and the girlfriend in the stands, his arms around her, and she's got her, her hands to her mouth, <laughs> up into his chest. Uh, someone on Twitter said, that was the pose that people give when they watch their home burning down. Oh my God. Like that, that is absolutely Absolutely spot on. And did you see the fed up black woman? Oh, yeah, yeah, The fed yeah. up black woman yeah. was like, I was like, man, I, I thought I was at my family reunion and I dropped the <laughs> eggs or something like. The fed up Theo black woman Theo felt that was, in his soul. I was like, yo, I've oh, seen that man. look so many times. She was disappointed. <laughs> oh, man. But as far as gaps are concerned, the, okay. So the dumber one might be Derek Carr. Yeah. The dumber one might be Derek Carr. But the Raiders get a little bit of a pass because... Well, if you look past Ruggs and you look past them <laughs> five weeks later playing a guy who had gotten a DUI 48 hours prior putting him on the field, the Raiders were a pretty feel-good story. Yeah, Gruden was out of the picture. Asachia comes in, interim head coach. Uh, the players clearly appreciate him. They make a run at the end of the season. They get in. It's easy to gloss over the mistake that Carr made. Though in the moment, that's just dumb. Throwing in front of the goal line into triple coverage on the final play of the game is dumb. With no pressure in your face. None. He, it was, you're right. They only sent four, and he a had a clear pop. pocket. Yeah, like he could have took like three more seconds. He could have even rolled out to the right to go try and at least give a toss-up mm-hmm. to Waller because yeah. I'll take my chances yeah, with that. Jump ball, something. Yeah. But a missile to the one? <laughs> it was That's so not weird. doing anything. It so and it's not like it was even an in route. He was planted there. Zay Jones was planted there. It was so weird. It was man. so dumb. But then 
So I'll make the argument that Dak and the slide, or, or Dak and the quarterback sneak, that actually is a fairly smart play. It could have been. It could have been, exactly. Yeah, That's the been. operative word here. So the 49ers spread the defense to both sidelines because they're trying to protect another quick throw to the sideline, trying to force the Cowboys into exactly the trap that the Cowboys <laughs> fell into. Now, you would think that the trap they fell into would have been via the pass right. and something would have happened, but Dak then takes off. and There's nobody around him, so that's good. But then Dak, the veteran quarterback, got greedy. It turned into, it went from smart play to, oh no, oh no. And you could hear Tony Romo was having an aneurysm as this happened. Yeah. I mean, he was shocked that it took Dak so long to get down. And as the time ticks down, and it's not like college where the clock stops after you get a first down, you're waiting for a, a, a an average age of 67-year-old social security earning official to run up and touch the football. Uh-uh. It's not it, it's not going to work. So it went from smart idea to super dumb execution. And so you definitely juggle both of those which one ended up being the bigger gaff, but for me I just I think with what was on the line for the Cowboys, they were the only favorite that lost this weekend. Yeah. They were the only favorite that lost this weekend, and I would argue they had they were the favorite with the most pressure on them this weekend because of what they are. Because you're talking about the problem like Dak Prescott, his execution obviously was poor. But do you think they might have had a better chance? It's not like he has a weak arm. At just two throws at the end zone? Couldn't. He could have. You know, like, I saw that argument as well, and I was like, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, they could have took two strikes into the end zone. Yeah. Especially with them spread out to the sideline. They were at the 40, and I think that... (sighs) The run got them, what, to the 28 or so? Something like that, yeah. It's like, okay, so now you, now they're going to, instead of guarding the sideline, even if you do spike that ball, they're guarding the end zone now. Unless, yeah. unless Mike Zimmer is coaching them, I'm pretty sure they're going to do a good <laughs> job of guarding the end zone the right way. I I would think, though, former high school and college quarterback uh, Friday Night Lights, Stone LeBanowitz, would agree that taking two shots from the 40, you have a better chance of taking one shot from the 30 as opposed to two shots from the 40. Okay. Um, so if he goes down at the 32, 31, 30, chances are you still have at least a second on the clock. You spike it, and uh, you're able to run a play. Take your one I shot. just I would take the one shot. I'm not saying that what you're what you're proposing is wrong. And in retrospect, it sure hell is a better uh, a better, it's a better situation <laughs> than what the Cowboys actually found themselves in. Um, but I just if you're if you're Dak, and you're going to do that. You've got to know the ramifications. You've got to know when to go down. And Dak's gotten a lot of the blame for this, but where's Kellen Moore? Where's Mike McCarthy on yeah. this too? Telling him, hey, by this time, you've got to get down. I don't think that discussion happened, and that's a problem too. And Kellen Moore is some hot shot head coaching candidate. After seeing that, I'd be calling and saying, hey, you know what, take that off the schedule. Yeah. I mean, that's bad. The, the Cowboys' offense was putrid on Sunday. And I'm not sure how much, so I, I wish I could, you know, only the people in that locker room on those sidelines could know who really to blame for that because I'm not sure how much it's on Kellen Moore. or Because Mike McCarthy, we know. We have a big enough sample size. He is a poor decision maker in the heat of the moment. Like, yeah. time management wise, I mean, throwing a challenge flag at the wrong time, calling time, he's always been a bad decision maker in the heat of the moment. So is it on Kellen Moore? Is it on Mike McCarthy? Who was supposed to relay that message to Dak Prescott? All we do know is there's no way Mike McCarthy can come back. 
Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Kellen Moore might still get his hot shot job somewhere. Somebody might be fooled into it. Or they might luck up and get somebody who's really good. Because maybe Mike McCarthy was the reason why that didn't get, you know, like, I don't know who to place that blame on. But I do know Mike McCarthy got to go. Yeah. It, it kind of feels like it. And he's going to, whether it's fair or not, he's going to take on all of that blame because he, he has, has a reputation. To. And he's the head coach, too. And he, you're right. The reputation precedes him. But yeah. also, yeah, like, you're the head coach of this football team. You allowed that to happen. And all throughout the game, they had little gaps and missteps. Oh, yeah. And yeah, all yeah. throughout the year, all of that talent you have, I mean, I don't know. I, again, I'm not a Cowboys they fan. They underperformed. They absolutely underperformed. Yeah. So it doesn't hurt me. I like to see Cowboys fans cry, but, you know. they. I mean, they, they hosted a playoff game, yet they still underperformed. This was not, this was not good enough. At the end of the season, yeah. uh, the loss especially to Arizona, and then in this game, they got run over. They had the, the, the tempo and the pace of the game dictated on their own field. And then they needed a miracle to even be in a situation to blame the officials for the game. They blame the officials for the game. They, they, they needed pretty much the planets to align. In the 49ers, and, and Shanahan's going to get a pass for this because of the outcome of the game, but the 49ers had a comedy of errors leading up to that. Oh, yeah. That really almost butchered the end of that game, which looked like a sure thing. What was the biggest gaffe of the NFL wildcard weekend? For me, Dak Prescott, not knowing when to go down on the QB sneak and the Cowboy season is over. Theo says Derek Carr throwing his one missile pass on the final play of the game to the one-yard line as opposed to going to the end zone. There was no pressure in his face and Carr losing the game for the Raiders. What was the biggest gaffe of the NFL wildcard weekend. 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. And hey, Kyler Murray, don't act like you're not going to be involved in this conversation at some point as well. 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. Ken Levick Alive presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, the title sponsor of Ken Levick Alive. Right now, you can sign up for classes, summer and fall semester, the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. February 5th is the next virtual open house for the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. This is your path to the sports industry. This is how you work in sports. This is how you make money in sports. This is how you get your dream job with an MBA in sport management from Florida Atlantic. Again, February 5th is the next virtual open house. Sign up fau.edu slash mba sport that's fau.edu slash mba sport and again they're now accepting applications for summer semester and fall semester 2022 uh tara quinn let me tell you her story she just started with the fau mba sport management program she was working part-time at img academy shortly after she got accepted to the fau mba sport management program promoted to a full-time event coordinator that's because employers see that these students are going to be taught so well and learn so much with the FAU MBA Sport Management Program that they end up getting into a situation where they're making money, where they're stable. And isn't that what we're looking for? And especially, why wouldn't you do that and you can work in sports? I know you're out there, and I know sports is a lot of your passions. This is how you do it. The FAU MBA Sport Management Program, fau.edu slash sport. 
What was the biggest gaffe of NFL wildcard weekend? 888-760-3776, 888-760-3776 with Theo Dorsey, WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. I'm Ken Levicka. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, you are listening to Ken Levicka Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Levicka. Presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, FAU.edu slash MBA Sport, the FAU MBA Sport Management Program now accepting applications summer semester, fall semester 2022. Uh, 97.5 The Fan in Dallas, they had uh, Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones' son on asking about Mike McCarthy, and I know, Theo, you say that Mike McCarthy's got to go, but... They say that they absolutely believe that Mike McCarthy will be back. So I don't think he's going to take the ultimate fall for this. And you know that Jerry Jones is inherently, at least in the the later stages of his life here, and Jason Garrett being the ultimate example, he is uh, extremely loyal to people that he feels uh, are, are able to fall in line are able to uh, listen to him and follow his lead. Mike McCarthy certainly seems like that type of person. So I don't think this is going to be a very quick hook for Mike McCarthy. I, I really don't understand, for one, how it would be a quick hook. Also, number two, leading up to this game, all of the talk coming directly from Jerry Jones's mouth is, we have the talent, mm-hmm. we have the roster, there's no excuse for us to lose. Okay, so then... Poor decision-making, either between your quarterback or your coach or your offensive coordinator, is the reason why you lost. And now you're going to say that you're going to keep this guy around? Like, uh, what? what's the real answer here then? Why did they lose? I mean, unfortunately, it's probably a mix of things. That isn't an, <laughs> a quick fix that Mike McCarthy firing him is going to solve all in one shot. But look at that offense, though. Like, how did they what, – what was the final tally they had? What, 17 or Let's something like here. that? I forget what the score was, but – Yeah, 17. 17 points. So, look at that offense. You have Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard. On the outside, you got Amari Cooper. You got CeeDee Lamb. You got uh, – what's number one uh, that dropped the – Mr. Cash? Cedric Wilson. Cedric Wilson. Uh, you got a lot of talent. Like, one of the most talented offenses in all of the and NFL. And talent's never – been the issue I don't think yeah so how is it that with that talented of an offense they score 17 points and all of a sudden Mike McCarthy is here to stay and not only that the offensive coordinator Kellen Moore is the hot shot new head coaching candidate for everybody like so what is it then does Dak Prescott suck does is Amari Cooper no longer a good NFL player like what well, it's got to be one of the two. Yeah I don't I don't know about Kellen Moore's prospects that was so uninspiring on Sunday, I just, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Dak Prescott, 23 of 43, 254, a touchdown and an interception, only averaged 5.9 yards per attempt. I mean, that's low. That's low. He, and the 49ers defense is tough, but man, he was forced to, he was sacked five times in that game. Yeah. Five times in that game. That's a pretty lackluster performance when you're putting up 254 after throwing 43 times. That's not getting it done. It's terrible. It's really not good, but it looks like Mike McCarthy is going to stay. We've been talking the biggest 
NFL wildcard gaffes. For me, Dak not knowing when to go down and allowing the clock to run out, ending the Cowboys season. Then Dak going uh, weasel mode and blaming the officials. That was lame. That's really lame. That's not the – for me, these are just my football sensibilities, and I'm a dope, so who knows. But when my quarterback, my big money quarterback before the season – is talking about when asked whether or not he's vaccinated. Uh, that's a HIPAA violation. He doesn't know what HIPAA is. It's not a HIPAA violation. He's, he's, that's dumb. Not taking any accountability for that. And then after they lose, his immediate reaction is going to be, it's on the officials. No, dude. No. No. Like That reeks of someone who actually didn't know the rule about the umpire having to come up and set the football before a play can be run. Yeah. Dak, that's on you, man. That's on you. You have nobody else to blame. Me, again, my dopey football sensibilities, I don't like that from a guy who's supposed to be the face of the franchise, who got his money, who has had a questionable season as it is at that podium. That's a bad look on that dude. A bad look on that dude. It's a terrible look, and it's it's weird. The NFC East has this weird... Um, love affair with these QB sneak plays in times when you probably should not run it. Uh, shout out yeah, to the New York yeah. Giants. What's up, Giants? Hey, Joe Judge, I see you. Yeah, so I don't know, man. For me, for my money, Dak Prescott, for one, you, you're right. You want him to be a little more accountable. He's a superstar quarterback being paid, what, $40 million yeah. a year at And he's not a bad quarterback, yeah. but that's a bad look. You got to just be more accountable. That was on me. I should have gotten down earlier. We could have got the spike off, got one last play. And who, who knows what happens at that point? You probably throw an interception like – like uh, Derek Carr did, but at least you give your guys a shot. Yeah. To go down too late and not give your guys a shot at winning. It's on you. Uh, Theo was not a fan of Derek Carr. At all. Throwing into triple coverage with what appeared to be the one-yard line with the, the Raiders needing a touchdown on the final play against the Bengals. It got picked off. Not a good decision. Theo thinks that's the biggest gaffe of the weekend. What was your NFL wildcard weekend biggest gaffe? 888-760-3776, 888-760-3776. On Twitter, at ESPN West Palm. And again, 888-760-3776. I need to have an important conversation, too, about going back to the Cowboys game. Devo Samuel thought he had a first down that would have been able to wind down the clock. And it took us forever to actually get a ball placement. They reviewed it, determined that it was going to be moved six inches back, from where they initially marked it, which would have been a first down. Uh, That led to a series of measurements on the field. (laughs) How? And Josh Cohen was talking about this, Josh Cohen, the home team, 4 o'clock every day here on ESPN 106.3. How is a billion-dollar industry like the NFL still reliant on placing little tiny tarps on the sideline to determine where a first down is Men who are collecting Social Security holding chains also now hold the seasons of football teams in their hand. And you're depending on these old men to walk in a perfectly straight line in order to measure for first downs with seasons on the lane line. How, how is the billion-dollar NFL not put damn lasers on the field? How difficult is this? In soccer in Europe, you have lasers at the goal mouth to determine what, and a fun little animation to determine whether or not the soccer ball has gone completely across the goal line. In tennis, 
Some of the most exciting parts of Grand Slam tennis are when they have the replay off of the review where the little tennis ball hits down, animated. You see a little shadow. If it's on the line, it's in. If it's not on the line, it's out. That's fun. That's good. The crowd claps. Everybody's having a good time. In the NFL, billion-dollar industry, Billions upon billions, and they are spreading to all sorts of different countries now. It's an empire, a North American sport empire. Yet here we go with the equivalent of Mr. Burns on the sideline, and you're depending on him to properly measure 10 yards. It, it, it is pretty whack. It is pretty outdated. And I think it's going to take one of those things like for it to happen in a Super Bowl or a, a championship game where they're going to do the whole rule change thing afterwards. Like, you know how they tried to instill the the, the DPI or the reviewing yeah. pass interferences after the Saints-Rams game? Like, maybe it's going to take one of those moments where we got Stephen A. talking about that instead of chocolate cake on first take. Yeah, that is weird. Why are they talking about chocolate I don't, cake? I, I still am perplexed. I'm going to Google it later because... I don't know. Now people on Twitter are debating chocolate. Anything Stephen A. talks about, everybody has it to talk about It becomes gospel. Yeah, yeah he's, he, he, he is the man who turns the, uh, the social media needle. Yeah. That is for sure. I just, in the NFL, there's so much money involved. You can't come up with a better system. Put lasers on the ground. Yeah. I mean, come on. We don't need <laughs> retired former factory workers on the sideline using chains anymore. It's 2022 for Christ's sake. Uh, Another big gaffe happened in that Cincinnati game, and what Raiders fans are going to argue with you, Theo, is that uh, the Raiders got jobbed early in this one with the Bengals touchdown. And so we're going to listen. This is the TV call. This is NBC, Mike Tirico, Joe Burrow, who's retreating to the sideline, throwing to the back of the end zone, touchdown catch for the Bengals, Listen closely to what you hear before the reception. This is from NBC on Saturday. Five of the pattern, Burrow. Tries to keep it alive, scrambles. Throws it back to the end zone, but was he out of bounds first or is it a touchdown? I think he was out of bounds. They're discussing it. Caught in the back by Boyd. Conversation on the sideline here for the moment. No signal yet. Jerome Boger, the referee, is over here on the sideline. As they are in conversation, was he out when he threw? And the discussion was actually, oh, crap, someone blew their whistle before the ball was caught in the back of the end zone. So they go to New York, they look at it, and they determine that the touchdown stands. Here's the problem. In the NFL rule book, and it's pretty clear, any inadvertent whistle, even if a play is going on, makes it a dead ball. It ends the play. There's no result to that play. You replay the down. There was clearly a whistle before that ball was caught. It's one thing to hear it, but if you go back and actually see it, the ball's still in the air when that whistle blows. It certainly looks like one of the Raiders' defensive backs pulls up at the last moment. I don't know if it would have made a difference on the play, and that's what the officials are banking on, but the NFL, I think, did their best to try and cover up a massive, I mean a huge mistake, a game-altering mistake from its officials. That was a touchdown play that should have been, by the rule book, completely wiped out. That's true. It, it should have definitely, by the rule book, been wiped out. What a huge mistake. He would have scored that touchdown had the whistle not been blown, at least in my opinion. Again, you said you looked at it. It's, it's hard to tell. That's what the officials were probably banking on. But beyond all of that, 
I've been in that spot as an official and blew my whistle inadvertently and had to stop plays and you know. And what do you do in that spot? Do you like b- ball Yo, up? Go, ooh, you're bad. <laughs> your stomach completely drops because, especially when it's a play where somebody scores uh-huh. and you and every you blow the whistle, everybody <laughs> looks at you and you're like, we got to take the ball back out uh-huh. of bounds. Sorry, like it is uh-huh. the worst feeling when you screw up, especially with something like that. So you're doing like youth league stuff. I was doing uh, last year before I came here. I was doing high school basketball, oh, high school and middle school basketball. What's the what's the most contentious thing, Scott, oh. between you and a coach or you and a parent? Man, when I was doing youth league, actually, before I started doing high school, I actually got into a cussing match with a coach. Um, at halftime, as as she was walking off the floor, yes, this was a lady. I feel so. You know what? I don't feel so bad. You she got in. A- you got in a cussing, a swearing, <laughs> a verbal joust with a a a a women coach. Yes. To this day, my oh, dad still teases me about it because my dad's like a big time official in in Houston, and uh-huh. he was over the youth officials for this league. So the lady, as she's walking out for halftime, I'm thinking, okay, I can take a seat. She's been killing me all game. Yeah. She's yelling at me, all of this stuff. I'm like 17, 18 at this point. This is like years ago. Yeah, you're like a high schooler. Yeah, so I'm like really pissed off. So she's yelling at me, yelling at me. And halftime hits, I'm like, okay, finally a break. I go to sit at the scorer's table. As she's exiting, she gets a few more takes off at me. And I just, you know how your mind just goes blank? Yeah. Everything. You're like seeing red. Like, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot my dad was even in the building. I forgot she was a lady. <laughs> I said some things at her that I probably oh this rules. Never, yeah, <laughs> can you give me an abridged an abridged uh, FCC um, uh, capable version of this? It was it's hard to do that. It, I called her words that <laughs> that <laughs> that I will be canceled probably. Wow, Only, this is beautiful. It was bad. Like I was saying, the guy, the referee that was with me was like. Very scared of what was going to happen. This woman wanted to fight me. It was like it got really, really contentious. Oh my god! Her ch- one of her children were on her team because you know how youth league works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. now she's pissed because I'm also calling her these names in front of her child. Oh man, it so was you, bad. Oh my god! And she's calling me names back. We're like going at it. We're yelling. Fans can hear it. We still have a whole another half of basketball. To oh yeah, you yeah. Should, <laughs> so, you should have just thrown her out to avoid it. I you should probably, have sent her to the locker room. I should have thrown her out. I was an inexperienced official at this point. And the worst part of all of it was, like, two minutes later, my dad comes walking up, and I'm like, oh, I I forgot about that part of this. You're here. I said, hey, you. Okay, <laughs> I guess hey, I'm in you. trouble. You know what? I'll escort myself out of here. Oh, my God. So I did not finish refereeing that game. Wow. I got in some pretty good trouble with my pops. Oh, man. You, you yeah. besmirched the Dorsey name. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was ugly. <laughs> I, I will, and I was thinking about this. I've been thinking about this off and on during the course of the NFL season, but especially in the college basketball, because I see the abuse that some of these guys get. And now there's a lot of bad college basketball yeah. officials. There's a lot of bad referees. This weekend in the NFL was not good from an officiating standpoint. But you've got to uh, – let me – here. I All right, I have officiating questions. Let's take a break. We're like, because Friday Night Lights is going to throw something at me. But – I, I, I have so many questions about being an official, and I guess the biggest one is why. We'll discuss it. <laughs> 888-760-3776. Tweeted us at ESPN West Palm. What was the biggest mistake from NFL wildcard weekend? And if you're an official at any level, a referee at any level, why? 
Theo Dorsey, WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29, spilling his dark secrets on this Tuesday. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. From the Anajar and Levine Studios in downtown West Palm Beach, you are listening to Ken Levick Alive on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Levick. The FAU MBA Sport Management Program Tunnel Sponsor, Ken Levick Alive, FAU.edu slash MBA Sport, the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. Uh, so I've got to get into, because there was bad NFL officiating this weekend. NFL officials get screamed at constantly. Uh, college basketball, I see it firsthand. Those officials, I mean, it's 40 minutes of just coaches and players in their ear and questioning and I understand that for some there's a certain prestige to it, but I just wonder why. And here's the issue, too, is that some of these officials are so bad, mm. they know the abuse is coming. They know that the pushback is coming. Uh, I mean, we had an inadvertent whistle in a massive playoff game, and the officials certainly acted as if they were too scared to actually make the right ruling and replay the down as opposed to wiping off the touchdown for Cincinnati in Cincinnati. Like, they were scared. There was there was fear. And now there was a report the NFL is not going to have that officiating crew work again because of that mistake. But you, I didn't know this, you were an official in Texas. Your dad is a big-time official in Houston. You were abused by a <laughs> woman coach who, uh, who you then cussed out and then got in trouble with your father who was at that game. Let me ask you, though, because I know it runs in the Dorsey family, yeah. but why... Why be an official? Why do you want to be a referee? What What is it? Are you a masochist? Yeah, <laughs> it's a great question. For For me, at the time, it was always about the money. You know, like early on, you're doing something. Does it something, pay? It pays decently. So for Little League games, you can get like maybe, depending on where you're at, 25 to 30 a game, and you run those games. Those games are a lot quicker, eight-minute quarters. And generally speaking, you're going to have, you know, not as many problems. You're going to get more blowouts than not. Uh, a lot of easy travel calls. A lot of easy double dribbles. And then you walk out of there with an extra 30, 60, 90 bucks, depending on how many games you do. High school, middle school level, um, you're going to get a lot of fan berating, especially at some of the games. Where parents suck. Parents are the worst because every, everybody's kid is just God's gift to the world. <laughs> can't do any wrong. You know, like, uh-huh. and, and I get it. I get it. You created them. Or her, and you know you're you, you're very proud, you're very proud, yeah. And but you think they're going to be the next. That LeBron. shouldn't translate into uh, into berating a stranger. Yeah, it's really I mean, that's weird. a weird correlation between loving your kid and being proud of them, and then verbally <laughs> verbally assaulting someone you don't know. The you know the weirdest part about it, Ken, is like you'll be in the game, right? And this this fan or this parent will be yelling at you, calling you names throughout the whole game, right? And then after the game is over, it's like, it's like now where do we go from here? We both have to walk out of this gym at the same time. Sometimes they're like, hey, man, so sorry about that. You just kind of got into it. You did a good job out there. But that's not okay. It's not okay, right? But it's a weird – it's weird. It's almost like fans at a game when you're in the stands and you're yelling at athletes. You know that athlete can't do anything to you. Yeah. Well, right? until until Ron Artest is up in your face. <laughs> until that happens. Or Marcus Smart or I just I don't know what it is. There's this there's this dynamic in sports, and for all of us that are around it, like we get bold. Like me, 
I'm usually just sort of a meek person. I don't love being around big groups of people. I certainly don't like to talk trash to people. I am concerned uh, at any semblance of road rage I feel here in South Florida because it seems like every day someone else is taking a bullet to their temple after cutting someone off or flicking someone off on the interstate. I never, I, I will never do that again because, again, I don't need a bullet hole in my gas tank. All right, and that's what happens down here. So, for whatever reason, the only bastion left of where people think that they can get verbally violent and sometimes physically violent with people and there's not going to be any repercussions are sporting events. But here's the problem. It's not just the pros. It happens in high school. It happens in youth league. You know what's worse than your eight-year-old having a call go against him in a basketball game or in a baseball game by a teenage official or a teenage umpire who whose biggest concern is not your eight-year-old, but it's fighting the acne that he or she has been <laughs> battling for the last three years. The bigger issue is your kid seeing you act like a jackass. Yeah. Your dad yelling at the official from the stands or from the bleachers, that's the bigger problem for your kid. You're the bigger problem for your kid than the 17-year-old who called a foul on him. It's embarrassing. It's, it's embarrassing for some of those kids. And I've had parents and even coaches get, you're right, really bold. Like I had a coach tell me one time that because the calls weren't, he was getting blown out by like 30 points. Yeah. A couple calls didn't go his way, 50-50 calls. You know basketball, you got block charge, you got like, who, who did the ball, you know, the hand bounce off of before yeah. the ball went out of bounds or whatever? He told me he was going to air the gym out. And I don't know if you know what that means. Yeah, are you serious? A basketball Like, that's coach. like a police call. Yeah, a high school junior varsity, I think, <laughs> girls basketball coach, looked me in my, oh my eye God. and told me he was going to air the gym out. Because I said, I asked him, I was like, okay, you can't be getting mad about this call right now. Y'all are, you know, I get like, it. That's a terroristic threat. He said... You'll know when I'm mad because I'm about to air this gym out. And I said, I said, it, you know, and I had a discussion with him after the game. He apologized. He was like, you know, I was in the heat of the moment. But I'm like, you cannot tell me you're going to shoot up a place that's not just what has in me in hell? it. hell? Yeah, it gets wild. It gets wild, Ken. Like that, that makes me feel so bad for society. Yeah. Like the, to, to have this, to, to have it at that macro level. Like, I'm just talking about NFL officials who are too scared clearly to overturn a touchdown and an inadvertent whistle because they were in a stadium of 76,000 Cincinnati Bengals fans. <laughs> but you're telling me that with a youth league basketball game, you had a coach threaten to shoot up the gym. No, this was a high school basketball oh, game. Oh, that this makes was, it better. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. This was last year. It Never was mind. a girls' JV game. I had did a doubleheader, so I did walk away with $180 that, that day. Three hours, $180. Oh, it was worth it to get threatened to be yeah. shot up. Yeah, that's cool. It, it worked out for me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, coaches, fans, and even sometimes players, it gets a little – like, I've had players tell me they want to fight me in the middle of a game, like high schoolers. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if that's going to go well for you. So you're you're okay with this, though, because you're getting paid. I'm getting paid. You're a simple man to please. <laughs> you are simple to please. And I'm watching some basketball. like, And you know what pays off? The times when the games go without incident. That happens a lot of times, too. And you walk out with the money and you're happy. Gotta fix it. What are what are what are some of the the parent and coach nightmares? I, I I'm curious if other people have these parent coach youth league high school nightmares with officiating. 
Like, what's the most embarrassing thing that has happened at one of your kids' sporting events? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. As always, you can tweet at us at ESPN West Palm. What's the most embarrassing thing you've seen at one of your kids' sporting events? 888-760-3776. And I'm dreading this. I'm cringing at this now yeah. because I know that there are psychos out there. I know how parents feel about their kids, but like my girls right now are five and three. They're not playing sports right now. I think my five-year-old's about to play soccer. I I do know, like growing up, that even an old man like me, like there were parents that would be yelling at umpires. I remember uh, a situation where a parent came out and confronted and got in the face of this this teenage umpire. Like it's <laughs> so- ugly. It's ugly stuff. But what type of person do you have to be to want a referee? And it's necessary. We don't have sports without officiating, without yeah. referees. But it seems like it's not worth it. Why would anybody do it? What is in your DNA? Theo's just doing it for the money. <laughs> you know, my little brother sounds just like you because he refuses to get back on the court. He had a couple moments and he's like... Well, his brother almost got shot <laughs> up at a high school girls basketball game. Yeah, my, bro- my little brother's like, he thinks we're all crazy for doing it because my older brother still officiates. My dad does as well. So what would they say? What would your dad say? Because this, uh, this obviously seems like an honorable profession. He feels it's an honorable profession. Yeah, he would say, for one, it, it's necessary. Number two, he is kind of one of those super thick-skinned guys who like... And a lot of the great referees are who none of that is going to get to them like... And they are there to try and keep that authority over the game, keep control. So he's a guy that handles it flawlessly. He likes being an authority figure. Yeah. There's a little bit of power involved in this thing. He was always like, he always got like promoted to athletic director and like when he was coaching programs and stuff. So he's always kind of been that guy that gets elevated into those roles and he takes a lot of heat. So he's used to it. Got it. He has the thick skin that I don't. Maybe this is just a personality issue with me. Like as soon as I. I'd be super sensitive. Someone would yell something 30 seconds into the game, be like, shut up! Shut (laughs) up! Leave me alone! Shut up! And then I'd be just like a blubbering ball of sadness by halftime. I couldn't take it. My temper couldn't handle that. You're a much more put-together human being than me. But I cannot believe, A, you got in a a cuss-filled verbal argument with a a female coach, (laughs) and B, you had a coach at a girls' high school basketball game threaten to shoot you. And the not, entire gym, not yeah. just you, but the entire gym. He threatened to air it out. I said, what, what? <laughs> sir, 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 you guys. did you hear what you just said, sir? <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh, God. Ken Levick alive, and I'm not feeling great about society here on a Tuesday <laughs> on ESPN 106.3. Theo Dorsey, WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. I'm glad that for now he's distanced himself from the refereeing game. I'm safe. We have the listening lunch on the way as we head into hour number two. Ken Levick alive, presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken Levick alive on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Levick. Title sponsor, Ken Levick Alive, the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, FAU.edu slash MBA Sport, FAU MBA Sport Management Program. We are back 
After an extended weekend, MLK Day yesterday, Theo Dorsey, WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX, Fox 29, hanging with a Tuesday. We are going to have a Temple of Troll, a delayed edition, usually on Mondays, but since we weren't in yesterday, it'll be Theo, the most petty himself, bringing his, uh, his, his sermon from the Temple of Troll later on here in our number two. We've been talking the biggest gaps from NFL wildcard weekend. Overall, though, Pretty much chalk for the exception of the Cowboys. There weren't a ton of surprises, and some of these games got out of hand. And hey, uh, for you Power 5 stands in college football, listen to what I'm about to do, okay? Because you guys were so, so quick to dismiss Cincinnati. So quick to dismiss the Bearcats. We never want to see a group of five in the college football playoff again. Because Alabama, they were no match for them. Just like most other teams aren't a match for Alabama. What Georgia did in the national championship game is a once every six year occurrence. It's like the college football version of Haley's Comet, okay? Mm. Once every six years, a team will get the better of Alabama in a playoff or a national championship game. So many teams have been thrashed year after year after year by the Crimson Tide. But Cincinnati, for whatever reason, was that that was offensive to the college football fan because how dare the group of five permeate the college football playoff and not compete with the great Alabama. Here's what I'm about to do, NFL fans. The Eagles got slammed by the Buccaneers. Crushed. The Cowboys embarrassed themselves at home. The only favorite not to win in Super Wild Card Weekend. Here we go. Here we go. Ask me if this sounds familiar. The NFC East should never be allowed in the playoffs again. Mm. Never again. Just like Cincinnati couldn't prove itself against Alabama. Sorry, NFC East. You just don't pass the power football test. See? See how ridiculous that sounds when you actually apply it to the NFL? You power five dopes. It sounds stupid. Okay? So just know that's how you sound when you try to dismiss the group of five. You might be on to something, though, Ken. But, I know. But, and I'm okay with the NFC. He's never going yeah, to the Yeah, I was about to say, again. you might be on – that That was almost a solid yeah. point. They should definitely not get two teams. I mean, what Oh, yeah, we did not need happened? two teams. We did, we did not need it, two teams at all. Uh, in fact, I'm not even sure we need the seventh playoff team. It doesn't look like it so far. I mean, I, I like extra games – the one saving grace is that I do appreciate the fight for the top seed. Yeah. That you don't you can't coast in anymore as the number 2 seed and you get the same reward as the top seed. That is where I think the 7th team has to stay and we just have to put up with the NFC East being bad. Yeah, that and the two seeds still kind of get a bye week because they get to just march all over these seven teams <laughs> yeah, is what we saw. Yeah, that's true. Like, so they have to take the field, yeah. but they're clearly getting an easier path. Into the second round. Yeah, it's it's still. I just would ho- I would hate to see any players get injured in a game like that. But also that two seven matchup um, that we saw, especially with the the Eagles on the Eagles side of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. They they could have we we could have done without that. Yeah. That yeah. was just. I mean, the Eagles just that was not competitive. Yeah. That was not. But what we're gonna do, and this is the most obvious place we're gonna go because it happens with Tua all the time, and it's gonna apply now to Jalen Hurts. Every single game has to be a referendum on the future of that player because we can have no patience, we can have no perspective, we can have no context, never mind the fact that Jalen Hurts was a big part of why the Eagles actually 
were able to crawl their way into the postseason, but because he struggled against the defending world champions? Mm. Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. Ah, Jalen Hurts, clearly not the guy. Football fans are insufferable people sometimes. And when it comes to talking about quarterbacks or analyzing quarterbacks, I mean, it's exhausting. I know I'm almost glad. I was almost glad that Dolphins fell short of the playoffs because I just couldn't do it with Tua anymore. Every game was me trying to defend him while everybody else saying, ah, his arm sucks. Or if he had a bad game, see, he's trash. I, I don't. It's it, people love, love, love to just argue, 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 debate. Everybody thinks that they're Stephen A. Everybody thinks that they're Skip Bayless. Everybody thinks that they're Shannon Sharp. Mm. I don't have the endurance to do that every single week. For you people to get on social media and just want to fight about quarterbacks all the time, what's the end game for you? When are you going to be happy? Because you know those people are never going to be happy with a quarterback performance. Yeah, yeah, no. They got to keep it going. It's what gets them up in the morning. They get up. They take their phone off the charger and they start firing off the hot takes on Twitter. Yeah, it's a machine. It's it's just insufferable. <laughs> uh, I I I fear what I'm about to do, but we're gonna have to. Oh man, I see the name right there. A post mortem mm. on the Dallas Cowboys is coming because we welcome in Joe and Jupiter. Joe, my condolences, and I'm glad to see that uh, you still have a pulse on this Tuesday. Well, Barry, thank you. I'm absolutely suffering still to this day. And Theo, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I love your work, but I'm a little hurt that you love that you said earlier that you love to see Cowboy fans suffer. I, I, I thought you were Texan, but okay, it's okay. It's Stephen it's B. Okay. Stephen B. Over here to my left. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm from well, Houston, man. Steven. I'm from Houston. <laughs> Not okay. Dallas. You got your own problems. Oh yeah. Y'all, y'all listed about. 50 of the 7,000 things that are wrong with our team. Mm-hmm. You know, you can also, although except Zeke sucks, Jerry Jones refuses to close the windows when he's got $7 billion. He what is going on with that? Off. So, Joe, let's talk about the architecture of Jerry World, well, okay? It's a beautiful place. I've been in it. I've seen it. It is a glorious coliseum for football. But how much money does it cost to put some damn fabric on the windows so your receivers can see the ball? And you have no idea, unless you listen to Dallas Radio since 2009, how many discussions they have about those stupid windows and how many times both teams you just flat can't see, period, in the afternoon. And he even was on the interview with Bob Costas, I heard. He said he could have built that stadium for about half the cost, but he had to put all this extra stuff, which is fine, but he forgot about the windows. And his whole family knows where the West is in Texas. You know? Yeah. There's a hundred discussions that have been have, that have been that, about that, but that's that's just an example of so many things with this stupid team in mind. But, what have the what have the last thirty six hours been like for you, Joe? Well, let me tell you the one thing that made me it's it, it's it's been a little rough. I've just drowned myself in work yesterday. I I, I didn't listen to much TV or anything like that because I knew what I was going to hear, which is all true. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you what I did, <clears throat> and the one man that can explain perfectly what's wrong with this team, and he's always he's dead on, and that's Stephen A. Smith. I didn't have time to watch First Take Live yesterday, but a couple hours later, they have his clips on YouTube, and you can go back with uh-huh. him and Michael Irvin, who's on every Monday. He, he just, listen to him. It's, it's exactly what he says, and I'm more of a fan of him now. I just The only thing that made me laugh and feel good yesterday was listening to everything he said to me, because it's so true, and... I couldn't put it 
in better words myself. Yeah. And what he said was wrong with this team. And, I mean, Joe, I feel bad for you. Make me feel better. I know. I know. I feel bad for you. Help. And I'm sorry you've been in mourning. And uh, hopefully, the black shawl that you're wearing blocks out the sun better than the lack of drapes uh, there at Jerry World. Uh, feel free to call us if you if you need some more uh, s- some more therapy. We're here therapy. for you. Okay. And stay strong. Okay? I know you are. Keep burying yourself in your work. It. And uh, we'll talk to you later this week. Okay. Do you, do you remember 2006 when Tony Romo fumbled the snap yeah. and we lost that game? Yeah, Seattle. Or 2017 when Aaron Rodgers Des, threw that Des. ridiculous pass uh-huh. with no time left? Yeah. This is worse than both those Oh, my Because we have so much potential. My goodness, Joe. Joe, I knew it was going to happen, and I feel yeah. so badly for him. I feel so badly for him. Uh, so, by the, Jerry Jones is one of the richest human beings in the world. Just go to Joanne Fabrics. Buy, I don't know, 200 feet of drapery and put it in those windows. I mean, it's so stupid, but it's so cowboys. That that, I'm sure, in Dallas over the last 36 hours has been a major, major talking point. Could you imagine if you and I jumped in the air at noon and just drove a show for two hours on window dressings? Yeah, it would be interesting. You know, I just bought that house. I'm working on getting some blinds (laughs) from my house. I got a blinds guy, Uh so maybe I'll hit him up. Tell him to get in touch with Jerry Jones. Get him some blinds at the stadium. You know, actually, speaking of drapes uh, and and blinds, have you ever been on a cruise? Yeah. Okay. The blinds that they have, if you have uh, a like a, a porthole, as they put it, yeah, that uh, looks out to the ocean, or you have a balcony, the drapes that they have on those, they're like blackout. Yeah, they're, they're great. completely blackout. They're great. That is absolutely one. If you're in the market, that's what I would get. But two. That's where Jerry Jones should probably, that's what he should look into. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that it can at least filter it out. I mean, you don't have to go all the way blackout, do you? You can just filter maybe. Because it was pouring through. When you watch that video. It's like the sun was outside saying, hello. (laughs) Yeah. Hello. Look at me. Look at me. Man. I, 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 it, it is, it's intense. It's almost like the, uh, you know, the, the Mayan temples on the Yucatan Peninsula where during the solstices they set up those temples to where the sun comes straight through this rock hole. Yeah. Like, that's exactly how Jerry World was built. It's like a Mayan temple it in Arlington, right in Texas. It's yeah. right, it hits right in the middle. It, it hits of the right, that's how you know it's summer solstice, is yeah. that it's pouring right through the windows. Uh, we can have a scoreboard that goes end zone to end zone and is heavier than a blue whale, but we can't find drapes for the windows at Jerry World. It's, it's impeccable. It's, you know what it is? It's hilarious. It's Cowboys. It's, it's so Cowboys. It's Cowboys. That's right. America's team. Uh, 888-760-3776. 888 You can add another one to the biggest mistake of the NFL weekend. Jerry Jones just not putting up drapes <laughs> in his big palatial stadium. Let's go to the listening lunch. The audio clips you need to hear for your lunchtime here on this Tuesday on Ken Levick Alive with Theo Dorsey. Again, WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. You see him on TV. I just talk. Let's start with the Heat. The Heat win again last night. The Heat have only had a handful of games with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo together. Bam back last night after his thumb injury. The Heat win. They are tied with the Bulls for the top spot in the Eastern Conference and they've been a college team. 
Yeah. Struess. A G League team. A G League team. Yeah. When you've got Struess and Guy. Caleb Martin. Caleb Martin. Omer. Yeah. Yurt These seven. are the Yurt guys. Season. These are the guys who have driven the heat to the top seed. Jimmy Butler last night after the game asked about how this team has stayed together and how they've been able to surge. Jimmy, what were those conversations when you would have games with you and Bam out? The perspective that you guys got watching your teammates kind of flourish without you guys. What were those conversations like between both of you guys? Because you are leaders of this team and very important to, I guess, the long-term future for them. I mean, the conversation between me and Bam was, damn, we can't wait to get back. Seems like whenever I would text one of my teammates, they would always say something along the lines of, we don't need you, we're winning without you. Stuff like that, especially Dwayne. He's um, he's an honest guy. But these guys are, are so confident. You know that next man up mentality. But like I said, we got guys that can hoop, that can go. I mean, that about sums it up. Yeah. We got guys who can go. And I don't know how the Heat are doing this, but I do know that the coach of the year race is over. Should be. It's over. I mean, there there is not a single thing any other coach in the NBA can do for the rest of the season that will usurp what Eric Spolstra has done with this group, with this team. I mean, they damn well may go to the All-Star break as the top seed in the East with no All-Stars. It's looking likely. Think about that. It's incredible. The Bulls, who are free-falling right now. Yeah, Zach Levine's been out, so give him that. Yeah. But it's not looking good. And then there's the Heat. It's It's incredible. It's really, truly incredible, and it's a testament to Eric Spolstra. It's a testament to the front office. It's a testament to the style of play, and they've just got dudes, and they're only going to get healthier. They're the title favorite, I think. I think in the East, they have to be at least considered with the Bucks, alongside the Bucks, as the favorites to come out of the East. Right now, KD's out with the MCL for the mm-hmm. Nets. He's going to be out for like a month. Kyrie's only playing away games in that weird thing that's going on in Brooklyn. And then we have the, uh, the, the, the Bulls, who are good. They have a lot of good players. But they're but, not top seed good. Yeah, they're not. If the Bulls and the Heat get into a playoff series, I feel very comfortable with the coaching and the roster on the Heat side. To me, it's much more believable that the shorthanded Heat are a potential top seed in the East based on the spectrum of this season than the Bulls are a top seed with their full roster. Yeah. Bulls sure. are a good story, but they're not the best team in the East, even full strength. Speaking of KD, brings us to Kyrie Irving. Kyrie, this has been a topic of conversation, obviously, since the preseason, but his vaccine status. And so now with KD out with the MCL for quite some time, it's going to have a big effect on the next season. And Kyrie can only play road games because of the New York laws about mandated vaccines. Kyrie asked about it last night. And Kyrie, well, stay in Kyrie. See, that's that's what I feel like uh, ends up coming into uh a lot of this culture of basketball and, and sports and entertainment is you bring in the team and you bring in situations that we're in and Kev, Kev's going to heal. Kev's going to be okay. you know. And we're going to have to deal with that as his teammates. But in terms of where I am with my life outside of this, I, I stay rooted in, in my decision. And that's just what it is. Do you think there's anything that's way here to say? What do you mean? To get this job. Why, why do you keep asking me that? 
Yeah, that's what everybody wants to know. Who's everybody? Uh, there are millions of basketball fans out there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, who want to know if you're going to take the basketball to play at home? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Basketball fans. Like they're they're they're, yeah, but this is like that's what I'm saying. You're bringing like my vaccination status into a basketball game, and it's like I live my life majority of the time when I'm away from this. So when I say I'm not getting vaccinated, I'm making a choice with my life. Somehow it gets yeah. So he's not coming off of the vaccine status. He's not. And here's the thing, Kyrie is a lot of things. He is the master of word salad. Yeah, I can't stand that. Yeah, he he says a lot of big words, and so he's he's a perfect example of someone who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. We okay? call it fake deep. Yeah, you fake deep. He is fake deep. Yeah. Absolutely, he comes from the Emmanuel Acho school oh, of thoughts. Goodness. Fake deep. Okay, uh, he is ignorant. Okay, he's he just is. Yeah, uh, he is uh, a, a, a bit unintelligent. He is a conspiracy theorist. That he is. But also, he's right when he says, I had all that time to think about it, and I still haven't gotten the shot. No, I'm not getting the vaccine. Here is my plea, my plea to New York media and to NBA media. Let Kyrie be stubborn and ignorant and a conspiracy theorist and hurt that franchise and hurt that team. It's become clear... That the teams are able to tolerate it. It's become clear that even though he's doing KD a massive disservice, KD's going to just ride with it. Stop asking Kyrie about the vaccine Please status. Please stop asking him. Yeah. Just stop. Because he's going to give you the same just mumbly nonsense that he always does. He's not going to enlighten anybody. And he's also, you're not going to change his mind. So let him do his thing. Let him be ignorant. Let him be selfish, and it's time to move on from it. He's got to stop being asked about this stuff. Yeah, and I think they feel, you know, they're picking up their sword, and they're trying to feel that, like, oh, the fans are asking about it on That's Twitter. That's total we have to, media arrogance. Yeah, yeah, like, we don't. We know what Kyrie's going to say. We know he's going to say it in 30 words when he could have said it in five. Yeah. And yeah. we can do without it, for sure. It, it, no, one, no one's going to say something where Kyrie is suddenly going to, to think to himself, my God, you're right. Yeah. What about grandma? Like, that's not going to happen. Have you ever tried to convince a conspiracy theorist of anything? Like, you you could look up in the sky. The the sky is blue right now, right? And he's going to fight it. Yeah, he's going to fight it. He's going to say, well, the light spectrum that comes through the atmosphere and the particles hit the sunlight, that actually is a bluish color. No, Kyrie, it's blue. It's a blue sky. And I'm not, and I'm not wasting my time, words, or breath yeah. on somebody who's going. No, live your life again. It, it is yeah. his life. He's right. He has to be a person before he's a basketball. And we'll see player, you play in Phoenix. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. yeah, he's he's making a personal decision. So fine. Yeah. I I am personally past the point now. This is going to sound bad, but I'm past the point of really caring what other people are doing with this. Yeah. If they want to put themselves in danger, go for it. Because I know I'm taking care of me. Yeah. That's yeah. all you can do because yeah. you can't put the shot in his arm. Yeah. You can't. Right. So I'm done caring about where Kyrie is with this because he obviously doesn't give a damn about KD. Yeah. He says he enjoys the Nets. He doesn't give a damn about the Nets. No. And this is super selfish. Taking eight seconds to get two shots. And he can't do it. So that's fine. But stop asking him about it. Yeah. Stop. Because I don't want to hear him pontificating anymore <laughs> on it. I'm sure he's okay not getting the questions, but he's also the kind of guy that's going to be upset 
not getting the questions anymore because he thrives yeah. off of stuff like this. He loves it. Thrives off He wants it. Because he wants to be smarter than But you. he's going to fake like he doesn't like it. He's oh, gonna, yeah. Oh, why would you ask me that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, he's going to be pissed for about them asking, sure. but inside he's like, oh, I, I love this guy. Yep, 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 for <laughs> sure. Listening lunch here, Ken Levick Alive, ESPN 106.3. Our last clip here coming from Get Up yesterday. Ryan Clark, he was beaming, shining, a beacon of happiness after seeing what the Bills did to the Patriots. The Bills didn't punt. They scored on every single possession in the cold. <gasps> But the Bills played indoors, or they practiced indoors earlier in the week. Mm. They're obviously frightened. <laughs> nope. Here's Ryan Clark. Bro, the Bills are beating the Patriots for the sins of their ancestors. They are cutting the hell up. When it's your turn, it's your turn. RC, explain that tweet. Listen, the Buffalo Bills have been tired of the New England Patriots stuff for a hell of a long time, and they showed it this week. They were like, you know what? I don't care how bad we're beating you. We're not going to just run the ball. We're not going to kneel on it. We're going to throw bootlegs in the last parts of the fourth quarter. We're going to throw the football to left tackles and extra linemen, and we don't give a dang we are going to beat the brakes off of you so bad you will forget your name you will forget that tom brady ever played for this team and the buffalo bills i ain't mad at you this ain't little league we run the score up when we can amen i love it and i think he's right because that was a message sender the bills lost a game where the patriots threw three times earlier in the year then, last week, and we talked about it Thursday, we got into a discussion about Bart Scott recommending Viagra for Josh Allen so he had better circulation in his feet. <laughs> and no one has answered the question for me yet, how do you play football with the end result yeah. of a dose of Viagra, especially if you're wearing a cup? It's going to be tough. How did the dynamics work with that? I don't know how that works. You could try a tuck and run type thing. But yeah, it's gonna be apparently tough. it's going to be extremely <laughs> tough. Yeah, yeah. The other type of tuck and run. Uh, but the the there were all of these. Oh, the Patriots. There, Belichick's. He, he, he's he's the one who's the the mastermind. Even though the Bills are the objectively better team, the Bills absolutely tried to send a message, and they did. And it was glorious. And I, they definitely were running it up. Yeah. That is the official passing of the torch in this division. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I loved every second of it because it was just the epitome of petty. Oh, yeah. The touchdown throws, the, the, the big man touchdown, all of that. Like, the Bills did what they were supposed to do. A 30-point win, too. Yeah. That's yeah. going to be on Bill Belichick's resume going forward. A I love it. A 30-point loss. Nine plays, 70 yards, touchdown for the Bills. Second possession, 10 plays, 80 yards, touchdown. Third possession, 10 plays, 81 yards, touchdown. Fourth possession, four plays, 89 yards, touchdown. Fifth possession, four plays, 27 yards, touchdown. <laughs> 11 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Nine plays, 77 yards, touchdown. Three plays, 39 yards, touchdown. I mean, they scored a touchdown in every possession. It, it's ridiculous. That's the first time that's ever happened. That's legitimate NFL history. Yeah. At the expense of Belichick and his son. Yeah. Oh, oh, man. Makes me tingly and feel good. Oh, yeah. I love it. Speaking of, Josh Allen, and that concludes listening lunch. Josh Allen, I mean, that's an all-world game. That's a legendary type game. That's a We're building a statue for that dude outside of Orchard Park type of game. Josh Allen had a legacy-defining, a legacy-defining performance against the Patriots. But you also had Matt Stafford win the first playoff game of his career last night. 
beating up on the Cardinals. You also had Joe Burrow winning the first playoff game of his career, but also the first Bengals playoff win since 1981. Yeah. Like, that's significant. Or 1991, I'm sorry. That would have been even more crazy. Oh, yeah, 91. You're right, because it's 31 Uh, years. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, he, he has brought football back to the forefront in Cincinnati. It's wild. Of those three quarterbacks, who had the biggest win, if you're talking legacy, if you're talking career? Over the weekend, was it Burrow? Was it Stafford? Was it Allen? And for me, Josh Allen with that performance, because I think he made the leap last year. He was a little bit up and down this year. Josh Allen has firmly established himself now as a top-tier elite quarterback in this league. He is in the discussion of a Rodgers. He is in the discussion of a Brady. Josh Allen is a guy now. He is an elite-level quarterback, one of three, maybe four quarterbacks with Mahomes in this league that can have that E-word put in front of his name. Josh Allen, what he did was so significant, he had the most important weekend of the quarterbacks I just named, Allen, Stafford, or uh, Joe Burrow. I hear you on that, and and it sounds like the right argument, but I'm going to go with Matthew Stafford. Only because Matthew Stafford, given the opponent, the Bills had the superior talent throughout the roster. They they were obviously favored, you know, at home, all of that, whatever. And Josh Allen had a historic game, so yes, of course. Matthew Stafford, though, especially the way that he had played and performed in these primetime games leading up to the postseason, a lot of people were ready to write that referendum on no, his I kept career. throwing it to the other team. That yeah. was a problem. Yeah, 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 like that was his thing. Like I think what the, the stat was, they're 7-0 this year when he doesn't throw an interception, 6-5 and when he does, and it just so happened that most of those games were the primetime games where we all got to sit down and watch <laughs> Matthew Stafford literally throw games away. Mm-hmm. So for Matthew Stafford, with it being we're now in the twilight more so of his career versus Josh Allen, who has a long career to go, as well as the Rams who – Bet the whole house on Matthew Stafford, sending away picks, also bringing in Von Miller, also bringing in OBJ. Like, I think there was more pressure on Stafford to complete, uh, to perform and, and get the win. And no matter how that Rams-Cardinals game ended, if the Rams lost that game, we would be – everybody would find a way to blame Matt Stafford and not – maybe it happens because the defense got torched or whatever. Like, Matt Stafford would have been the, the lightning rod that would have gotten all the blame if the Rams lose that game. So I think Matt Stafford getting that win – a little more legacy to find. Three quarterbacks had milestone wins in the NFL playoffs this weekend. Josh Allen led a touchdown drive every single time he touched the ball. Wow. Joe Burrow won Cincinnati's first playoff game since 1991, and Matt Stafford won the first playoff game of his career. Who had the biggest win over the playoff weekend? Was it Allen? Was it Burrow? Was it Stafford? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. Tweeted us at ESPN West Palm. Was it Burrow? Was it Stafford? Was it Allen who had the biggest win this weekend in the playoffs? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. I say Allen. Theo says Stafford. We'll discuss when we come back. He is Theodore CWP TV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. I'm Ken Levicka. I'm presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program, and I'm live on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken Levicka Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Lavica. Josh Allen vaulted himself into elite category, doing what he did to the Patriots on Saturday. Again, in that cold, in those conditions where 
Everybody freaked out because the Bills had the gall to practice indoors last week. Lead a touchdown on every drive, first one to do it, and to do it against that team, that defense, that personnel. I mean, that's elite level. That was an important win. There were three milestone quarterback wins in the playoffs this weekend, in my opinion. Josh Allen with the Bills, Joe Burrow with the Bengals, Matt Stafford with the Rams, but Theodore CWP TV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. And I, I, I think there's something to what you're saying, Theo. Matt Stafford, if he lost that game, and he was never in danger of losing that game right. last night, but if he did lose that game, we would be saying that's the probably the, the last shot for Matt Stafford. Yeah. Because, and now we have a whole different outlook on it. And and now he has a chance to make a Super Bowl run versus if he got one and outed with this team and he was 0-4 in the playoffs, it will be a it will be over with. Josh Allen and Joe Burrow have the rest of their careers to paint what it's going to be. Matthew Stafford is running out of years. Brightline, let me tell you about Brightline because uh, Brightline is the best way to get through South Florida. I've been telling you, I've been telling Theo, Theo actually experienced it yeah. firsthand. The greatness that is. Brightline is back and better than ever. New restaurant, station upgrades, and their new Brightline Plus service gets you to and from stations going car-free, carefree in South Florida. It is easier than ever. Now, people say, well, the Brightline, it's a train. And then, Ken, you're mentioning new restaurants. And wait, I heard that there's drinks involved and there's a waiter and waitress service. Mm. You experienced this all firsthand. That's not a joke. I wasn't lying about it. You went to Miami on Brightline yeah. this weekend, Theo. Friday night. I'm, I, I'm a believer. I'm a Brightline truther. I hopped on that Brightline Friday night. It changed my life. Changed life-changing with Brightline. I will never drive to Miami again. I will never drive to Miami again. It's a good again. decision for your sanity and because Brightline rules. Yeah. It got me there, what, like an hour, hour, five minutes. Yeah. It was a straight shot. We stopped in Fort Lauderdale for like less than two or three minutes. It felt like I get off the train. I'm right there where I need to be. I walk to where I needed to go. I don't know why. Like, I guess the bright line was shut down during the pandemic and the heat of but it all. But it's back now. I am so happy. People talked about it before. You know, when I got here, the bright line wasn't running. It's back now, and I, I understand why everybody was talking about and it. And how does it make you feel when you get to the Miami station? They've got a bar right there. Right there. Or on the train, you have drinks served to you. Yeah. I mean, how good a feeling is that? I'm going premium next time. This time I didn't go premium. Yeah, premium's to, the way to go. Yeah. I, Friday Night Lights did premium because he's living. Yeah, Stone is living a different he's lifestyle. He's living than me. large, man. He he did premium. He talked about the unlimited drinks you get, yeah. and it's worth the upgrade. I'm Absolutely. doing it next time. Absolutely. Right now, groups of four more can save 25% on smart fares. Just enter the code All Aboard on the Brightline app or on GoBrightline.com. You get your discount whether you're riding with your family, friends, or your colleagues. Plus, kids under the age of 12 get to ride the Brightline for free with the purchase of an adult ticket. Download the Brightline app. That's what Theo did. That's what Stone did. Visit GoBrightline.com and enjoy the Brightline. It's back and better than ever in 2022. That's Brightline. Go to GoBrightline.com or download the app. Uh, Josh Allen on Saturday whether it was with his legs, whether it was with his arm, it's not just that he scored a touchdown in every possession. He led a touchdown drive on every possession. It's just how in control he was. He has a perfect mastery of that Brian Dable offense. Brian Dable is not going to be in Buffalo next year. Dang. He's going to get a head coaching job. Josh Allen, though, the, the ascension that he's made from a fullback who thought he was a quarterback, 
to now, in my mind, an elite quarterback, I mean, this is storybook stuff with him. He can make every throw, that first touchdown throw, where he's headed to the sideline and he lofts it to the back of the end zone for Knox to come down, make a pretty easy catch, both feet in, uh, in front of the back line. Not everybody can do that. There's only a handful of quarterbacks that can do that. And Josh Allen is one of them. Brady, Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen. I think it's those four. Yeah. It's hard to argue with that. I mean, he's he's different. He's different. He's different, man. And I'm not trying to get sucked into this Bill's love fest. I'm not going to be throwing myself through a a, a folding table or anything. But how can you not be envious of that guy? As a Dolphins fan, I'm so envious of Josh Allen. Because he's so big. I mean, you know you're legit when you have DBs and linebackers who are openly trying to avoid contact with you when you're chugging down the field. There were Patriots defensive backs in that cold who wanted nothing to do with a full contact collision with Josh Allen on Saturday. And I don't blame him. That's the thing. I don't blame him. He's a semi-truck playing quarterback, but like an athletic one, unlike Ben. You know what he is? He's Cam Newton if he was more accurate. Like, Yeah, he's a more accurate Cam Newton. He's a, he's a much more accurate Which Cam Newton. Which is crazy because he's like a, a corn-fed country boy. Yeah. <laughs> But the comparison is accurate it's from right a, a stylistic standpoint, from a weapon standpoint, except, yeah, he's he's accurate. Yeah. He absolutely is. Joe Burrow has completely captured the imagination of that city, though. I mean, Cincinnati loves Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow, speaking of someone who's made an ascension, battled injury, they threw him in last year and just said, hey, you have no offensive line, but go. It was unfair. It was unfair what the Bengals did to him. But now they're reaping the benefits. They almost gacked that game away yeah. as well against the Raiders. They got in because <laughs> they they ended up, uh, Zach Taylor did some questionable things in week 18, and the Bengals were able to overcome it. But they gave them weapons, they gave them linemen, and they let them cook. If the Dolphins aren't watching what the Bengals have done over the last 15 months, then there's absolutely no hope for Chris Greer and no hope for the Dolphins because that is how you help a young quarterback. That. Jamar Chase, that's how you help. Man, Jamar Chase. He's the best. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's incredible to me that Jamar, like, I remember the, the argument. You see it on Twitter still to this day, like the Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase. And I was on the Panay Sewell side because I saw how many times Joe Burrow was laying on his back with his teeth falling out <laughs> his rookie season. Uh-huh. But Mangled Jam- body. Yeah, but getting him his college receiver, who they set records together, and him going into the NFL, and then they set more records together. And Jamar Chase called his shot preseason. He was like, I- "I'm here in the NFL to set records," and he just started doing that. I- I'm I am jealous of what Bengals and Who Day Nation have. I do think that's the the weirdest call. Do we know what Who Day means? No, I was just relying on you for that. Yeah, no, Who Day. I they need to get rid of it. Who Day Nation for the Saints? I get it. Mm-hmm. Who Day is is just weird. I don't like it. I don't. Yeah, I don't have any background on that. Yeah. And we'll I, figure it out one day. I would try to explain, but I would come off as the probably the <laughs> whitest human being on the planet. I'd like to avoid that right now. Uh, three milestone quarterback wins in the playoffs. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Matt Stafford this past weekend. Which one was the most important win for the individual? Which one was the best win for the individual? Which one meant the most? 888-760-3776. 888-760-3776. For me, it's Josh Allen. Theo, though, is going with Matt Stafford. I want to quickly get back to our Heat discussion. Uh, the Heat right now are tied for the Eastern Conference lead with the Bulls. And as you accurately said, the, the Heat have been a, a G League team. 
Yeah. That, that that I mean, literally, that's where the meat of their rotation has been over the last six weeks now. They're a G League team. And for me, Eric Spolstra is coach of the year. Anybody with a brain, a functioning, firing brain, Eric Spolstra will not be overtaken because he has already done the work to win coach of the year. But JMP, who is uh, who's the biggest Heat fan I know, along with uh, with Evan Cohen, who you hear 11.55 and 4.55 every day here on ESPN 106.3, he tweets, Spo isn't winning Coach of the Year unless the Heat are the best team in the NBA. It's ridiculous for that to be true, but Coach of the Year always goes to the overachieving coaches, which Spo isn't considered that. Billy D is the favorite. No. I don't know. But wouldn't, wouldn't Spolstra be considered the overachiever here? He is. I think Spolstra, because what you have to remember, too. Because he got Bulls, no respect for the big three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Which I'd argue is a, a harder job than what he's doing right now. Because you got to manage all of those uh-huh. egos and figure out how to get LeBron the spacing with Dwayne. He, had, he did a lot of good work with the Heat in the big three era. But the thing I'll focus on now, the Bulls deserve executive of the year honors because where they won this season was in the offseason, getting Alex Crusoe, mm-hmm. getting DeMar DeRozan, fitting them in with uh, – and then getting Busevich yeah. last year. They made themselves competent. They did that in the offseason. Oh. The Heat didn't really. They brought in Kyle Lowry and P.J. Tucker, yes, but they've played the majority of the season without their best two players in Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler, and everybody's been dealing with the COVID thing, but the Heat, on top of that, have found to work guys like Kyle Guy in, Caleb Martin in, Omer Yurt 7 in – and make them play well within the system they have, and they're a two-seed right now, or technically tied, or percentage points, however you want to look at it, I think Eric Spolstra easily has done the best job, not Billy Donovan. Now, for whatever reason, though, it always I always get the sense that there's this anti-Spolstra thought, because I, I, I do believe there are fans, there are those that observe the NBA, that think that Spolstra's resume is solely courtesy of the gift he got with the big three. Yeah. But again, I would argue that that there are very few human beings who could coach that team to the success that the big three had with the egos, with the managing of minutes, yeah. keeping everybody happy, the constantly rotating pieces on a year-to-year basis because of where money was tied up. Spolstra has earned every single bullet point of that Hall of Fame resume. This just adds on to it. But for whatever reason, there's this, there's always this attempt to undercut yeah. Spolstra, it, it, and I, I just, I don't know where it, I don't know why it, it, it happens. People on the outside, I think, look at it as he was spoon fed when he came but into the league. That's such trash. But, but let's, let's, if you want to know how hard it is to coach a LeBron James led team, how about you phone up David Blatt, who's not in the league anymore, mm-hmm. who tried that in Cleveland? Yeah, like it's. Yes, you can get that roster. You can have LeBron. You can have superstars on it, but you have to be able to manage those egos as well as figure out the right rotation. Like, there's a lot that goes into it that Eric Spoelstra did. Plus, he has a long resume. Post, you know, Big Three was gone when LeBron went back to Cleveland in 2015. Yeah, he has from 2015 to 2021 showed us that he has done well with teams that did not have as good of rosters, and he's doing it again this year. I, I see, but I see why JMP feels that way that he won't win Coach of the Year and why Billy Donovan is the favorite because Billy Donovan is going to... Billy Donovan is just a, a lot more palatable yeah. for some reason. And I really think that Spolster, the reason that that some try to undercut him is because there's a jealousy, because there's a, oh, well, he had these guys, so he's not that good. He rode coattails to two championships. 
it, it it doesn't it doesn't work like that, and you don't understand the dynamics of an NBA locker room if you believe that. But I think that's where some of that comes from. I'm hopeful that the right thing will be done, and Spo is already one coach of the year. But I actually care more about the Heat winning a championship. Yeah, that's true. And that's what matters most. I know Spo's not going to care, but for a fan, it's frustrating. A pro Spolster person, it's frustrating. Yeah, and, and the guys out in Memphis might actually have a you know uh, an argument about coach of the year as well with what they're doing. But you're right. The Heat don't care about Coach of the Year awards. The Heat don't care about all-star votes because, you know, we might not have any this year. Yeah. All they're worried about is when we get into the postseason, can we position ourselves best to make a championship run? And unlike in what, what was that, 2020 or 2019 in the bubble, you know, be able to maybe, you know, finish it off. It's going to be tough this year. There's some good contenders, but Speaking of the bubble, uh, Giannis, he's opened his mouth and he's made himself look real dumb talking Uh-oh. about the Heat in the bubble. We'll get to that in just a moment. Real quick, if you could tell people, Theo, about what's happening at Arise Center. Well, I'm excited to do so. Join us at Arise Center for Athletic Development located in Jupiter this Thursday, January 20th from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. for an open house event. Guess what? We're talking about the heat. NBA superstar Alonzo Mourning. Let's go. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. And former Super Bowl MVP Richard Dent will be speaking about what it takes to be a champion and compete at the most elite level. And trust me, they know. Free tours of the state-of-the-art facilities and the sensory training room, as well as opportunities to speak with Arise Performance coaches, trainers, and staff who can develop personalized training programs customized to any athlete in any sport, youth to adult, beginner to pro, in recovery or sharpening skills, visit MyArizeFL.com for details and more details on the event. Giannis Antetokounmpo, this is a little bit out of touch. I'll give you the quote when we come back. He's Theo Dorsey, WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. I'm Ken Levick. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. You are listening to Ken Levicka Live on ESPN 106.3. Here's Ken Levicka. Presented by the FAU MBA Sport Management Program. I love Giannis, Theo. I'm a big Giannis fan. Giannis and Tenenkumpo. What's not to love about him? And I felt good for him when the Bucks won the championship oh, yeah. last year. But this is a piece from The Athletic. Giannis and Tenenkumpo, just talking about his career. I want you to listen to this. Year seven, Anakumpo said as he reflected on his career, ended with Miami. He's talking about the bubble. I don't make excuses as an athlete, but it wasn't a satisfying year for me because I felt like if it was a normal situation, it wouldn't end up like that. But at the end of the day, I felt like Miami was built to be an NBA bubble team. You know? End quote. I'm so tired of that trope. It's so this bubble boy nonsense that Tyler Hero gets or the Heat were a bubble team. No, no, no. In a normal situation... The Heat would have been fine because what happened in the bubble actually was a more difficult situation than having to travel and have a, a, a road disadvantage. What happened in the bubble where you're isolated from the world and it was basketball at its most basic sense with a, 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 a clear and smooth playing field? The Heat, what they did there was more impressive than if it was a normal situation like Giannis said. Giannis is better than that. Yeah. The Heat didn't beat the Bucks because it wasn't a normal situation. The Heat beat the Bucks because they were better than the Bucks, and not just a little bit, a lot bit. Yeah, they beat the Dogs not out of them. Absolutely. Yeah, 
And and also with that whole bubble stuff, what the what players and other teams are really saying when they discredit the Heat for winning and doing well in the bubble is that we need those kind of other things. Like we're not as good. Like it's more self-deprecating, I look at it, than it is for them to be talking down on the Heat. They're like, we're not built like them, so we can't mm-hmm. withstand the bubble. The Heat had the mental fortitude yeah. to succeed in the bubble. And for the anti-SPO contingent that exists that we were just discussing, yeah. that right there should be evidence of just how different Eric Spolster is than the vast majority of the coaches in the NBA. Because he thrived in that setting. He, did. he didn't falter. He didn't let his team collapse. Giannis could not be more wrong about that. And I've heard that over and over and over again. And we've heard all that over and over and over again since the bubble. But that's just flat out wrong and uninformed. And it's a lazy basketball take. Ken Levick alive here on ESPN 106.3. Theo Dorsey, WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. Quickly, EDS Air Conditioning. EDS is, yes, EDS Air Conditioning is where you're going to get your AC serviced. It's where you're going to get your AC replaced because it's about to get hot every day, humid, gross, disgusting. That's called, well, summer in South Florida and it starts in, well, mid-February. You need your AC in top-notch form. EDS Air Conditioning. EDS is yes. Go to edsairconditioning.com. They handle your plumbing needs as well. They've been doing it since 2006. They're family-owned and operated, and they're using the best equipment because they're a trained comfort specialist. It's hard to stop a train. Just do me a favor because I care for all of you. Make sure your AC is functional. Don't be miserable. AC shuts down and then bad things happen. EDS Air Conditioning. EDS is yes. Go to edsairconditioning.com. He's the most petty sportsman on the planet. He'll look you straight in the eye and roast you over your fantasy football team or your favorite football or basketball team. He'll even delve into hockey if he's feeling petty enough. Mm. Time now for the Temple of Troll. Congregation, it's time to hear the good word. He prays for your sports pain. Rocio then rejoices and preaches pettiness. Theo Dorsey is in his bully pulpit in the Temple of Troll. Remember last season, or not last season, this season, when we were drafting up the Mac Jones versus Tom Brady Super Bowl mm-hmm. over at One Patriots Way. Mm-hmm. I love just how optimistic you Patriots fans. You oh, thought man. you had it all figured out. And then that bad man, Josh Allen, came to town, and he took them to the town of Pound, throwing <laughs> touchdowns to left tackles and Dawson Knox yeah. and right, right over the top of your defense. I'm in. Bill Belichick, the problem with Patriots fans right now, I know you're at home, you're thinking, oh, this is just one year. Those Bills, uh-uh. you get to play them twice a year Preach. for the next 10 years. Yep. Ha, ha, ha. Be glad you have Mac Jones, right? But he has to go up against Josh Allen. And Josh Allen's, what, 24 years 24, old? A new sheriff in town, Theo. A new sheriff's in town. The AFC will not be the same. And I'm sorry, Patriots. It's not going to just be a reload. It's not a rebuild in your back. You're going to have to suffer through the Josh Allen era now. It's his division now. Ha, ha, Patriots fans. That is how you do a Temple of Troll with Theo Dorsey. WPTV News Channel 5, WFLX Fox 29. That's a wrap for us. Theo, well done, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Always a good time. I'm Ken Levicka. Thanks to the- uh, Stone Labanowitz Friday Night Lights. Thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. I'm Ken Levicka. I'm live on ESPN 106.3. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye.